This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. In five. Check for sound. Four. It's showtime. Three. Let's two, go. One. You're listening to the Pro Audio Suite, a program for audio and voiceover professionals. And welcome to another Pro Audio Suite. It's just the three musketeers this week, yeah. uh, with a special guest being Maurice Tobias. Uh, in Sydney is Robbo. G'day, G'day, Robbo. How are you going? Good, I'm mate. Good, mate. Good, good, good. And in Chicago, Robert Marshall. Hello. Good hello, evening. Hello, hello. Good evening. Um, our guest this week is Maurice Tobias. For those who don't know, she's... Um, it's hard to actually describe exactly what she does, but I, I, I'll try by saying she can help set up brands like she did for Christopher Kent, the CKUK brand. Mm. Um, she will help you work out scripts, work through scripts. So she's kind of like a branding kind of coach, if that makes sense. Anyway, yeah. we'll find out more about her a bit later on in the show. And then some. Yeah. Now, Robert, you got a story about uh, a commercial you worked on for Cause Beer. Yeah, they um, they wanted some sound design for a... Essentially, their campaign was the coldest tasting beer, and they wanted um, basically to convey cold. It was the whole thing. Um, and we went around and around with various ideas, you know, like the mountains and everything else, and something that just catches people's ears. And it was just so simple in the end. What I, I did is I ended up going into the booth and sort of creating my, <laughs> this will sound funny, I went into the booth and created my own wind. No. Um, <laughs> We've heard that before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so sort of this howling wind of the mountains and whatnot. And it was, I mean, really simple. It was just literally, if I can do this again, it was that kind of thing. Ah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I feel like a beer. Yeah, I yeah. do. <laughs> I feel like an icy cold beer. Mm. That's weird. That's 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 ASMR. And that's the tingling I get, sensation. I get, I get very like uh, you know lightheaded when I do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but did it work? Were they happy? It did. They they yeah. bought it and it was on many commercials. Nice. In fact, I do remember kind of feeling like I wish I was a voice talent because that that all got logged in under. Uh, just sound effects, essentially. Right. But yeah, yeah, you know, that's yeah. what I was hired to do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was. We I did a bunch of spots. In fact, you know, they ended up doing some other spots um, later someplace else. And you know, I think back in the day, we had to send a dat tape over with me going. <laughs> and uh, was, so the obvious question for, for me that comes from all that, though, Robert, is: Did you at least have to experiment with opening cans of beer? At some stage before you well, came that up with that idea. Well, that was some of it. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Absolutely. And like there was sounds of ice breaking that we played around with. Right. And, but this worked well a lot because of their logo, which was, you know, the mountains. Mm. Um, so there was that. Uh, because yeah, the big was, thing about opening so cans of simple. beer, though, is once they're open, you can't just leave them to waste. You've got to drink them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I got an even better story. So... Uh, we were doing a commercial for a, well, a pickle company and they wanted the sound of their jar being open. And so we had to get a jar to open it, foley this, sent the assistant across the street, grab a jar of pickles, right? Open. Great. Clients come in a couple hours later. They love everything. Someone spots the jar of pickles like, like by the window of the booth and it's not the same brand of pickles as the client. 
<laughs> and they were not happy. And it was one of those things like, really? Like, you know, they kind of all sound the same. <laughs> but ours are different. Yeah. Right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, we yeah, did yeah. replace that. So there is truth in advertising. It's funny the things we do, though, because I did a job for uh, Subaru here in Australia. Um, this would be a good few years ago now, back in the mid-90s. Late, uh, sorry, sorry, mid two thousand, so two thousand and five, two thousand and six, around there somewhere, um, and it was for uh, their Outback, which is sort of like their station wagon, yeah. family wagon sort of thing, and uh, but the, the the TV commercial was of the WRX rally car sort of racing around the um, the Outback of Australia, and and they supplied a whole bunch of location video to the editor, and they supplied me a whole bunch of location sound. Um, and they'd had mics in the car, on the car, around the car, you know, everything was really mm. well done. So I laid it all up underneath this TV commercial anyway, but then someone came in and they decided that there wasn't enough sound of gravel hitting the car when this car was taking corners and all that sort of stuff. So I actually had to, I actually went out into the garden, grabbed a whole bunch of pebbles uh, and that sort of stuff, brought them into the studio and found a metal toolkit that was sitting in the back room emptied all the tools out and turned that upside down and proceeded to mic up and record me sort of dropping pebbles and running pebbles along along this metal toolkit to get the sound of pebbles hitting the car as this WRX was taking the corner. So the things we find ourselves recording from time to time is quite bizarre, right? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story like that, very similar, but uh, nothing to do with recording. When my dad joined the army in the Second World War, um, his training in 1940... Uh, they would go down, pretend to be sitting in uh, a, a truck, the back of a truck. They would had a stick which represented their gun, but they weren't actually sitting on anything. They were squatting in the middle, <laughs> the middle of the village on the green. And then some guy, the sergeant major or whoever he was, had a uh, like a paint can full of pebbles, and he had shake the can, and that was the machine guns going off, and they had to disembark the lorry and uh, get themselves into a position to attack wow. or defend. How bizarre is that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's like that old thing, like, give up your sight or give up your hearing. and Yeah. Tough one, but I might yeah. give up my sight. Yeah. I could you so. just do it, like, could you have one eye and one ear? Oh, well, that'd be the way to go if you had to lose two things, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mono's yeah. not yeah. so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. Now, you also um, did a bit of a Brian Eno with the uh, Source Connect sound. <laughs> yeah, it totally measures up to the level of Brian Eno. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had a room full of synthesizers and I was trying to figure out, you know, like, what's the sound of Source Connect going to be? Uh, <laughs> no, it was all done in Pro Tools and um, really just, uh, you know, two sine waves and some reverb and... It was early on, needed a sound, and uh, um, just made it. I, you know, I can't even. You know, it's like some some of these things are just how you're feeling that day. What do you feel like? And mm. and that became the uh, the call sound of when you receive a call from Source Connect. Must be the nice Very, thing too when you're your own client. <laughs> so it's sort of like, you know, there's no one in the back of the room going, It nah. went very smoothly. It would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was probably the smoothest session you've ever done, right? <laughs> I honestly, I think the whole thing took 15 minutes. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, it was like, oh, you know, it needs to be short, needs to be percussive so that it can, you know, stand out if you hear it across the room. But that was one where it needed to be, we did want it to be somewhat iconic in the sense that someone would know that is Source Connect. And 
Um, mm. And I think people do know that. I mean, I'm I'm not sure that we've really you know taken any polls to see whatever. Like, if I play this sound, do you know what that is? But mm. I think a lot of across the VO industry, certainly, people would be like, boop. Oh, I know what that is. Oh, absolutely. It's like the uh, it's like the you know the Skype calling sound or you know anything like that. The Mac boot up. The Mac boot oh, yeah. up. There you go. There's one. Absolutely. But yeah. the Mac boot up. I mean, I, I was thinking of that as we've been talking about this. That is so simple. Yeah. That, some chime. of the best ones are simple. Yeah. That's yeah. Exactly it. I mean, the Mac boot up is just a boom. It's a chord. Mm. Yeah, right. that's yeah. what I mean. It's um, like imagine some guys getting paid. <laughs> they going. We just paid this guy how much to do. My kid plays that chord. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But the I, fact I, that I have we're a sitting here having story, this. Though, we were. Sorry, go ahead. Robert. I was just going to say the fact that we're sitting here having this conversation sort of probably proves the point why he made that so much money because it has become so iconic. Not as much as Brian, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we, we got the job to do many years ago the sound for um, for uh, GameCube, and at that time they were competing a lot with uh, Sega. And so Sega's sound was just a guy going like, Sega! <laughs> kind of like that. Yeah, that's right. And um, so from the ad agency, and not really from the client, but from the ad agency, the instructions were that they didn't want it to be the name. And we went through days. I mean, I probably made 200 sounds more. I couldn't even tell you. Um, it was like a day, at least a day or two. And right at the end of one of the days... Um, my boss walks in and is like, what are you doing? Oh, we're making sounds, you know, we're, we're doing explorations. Oh, okay, It's who's it for? It's for uh, GameCube. I'll do a few, all right. So he doesn't get the direction, which is don't say the name. And uh, he throws his assistant in the, uh, in the booth and she says, GameCube. And then actually, because we had been doing this before for some other fun things, I... Remember playing jokes where you uh, you say something, reverse it, figure out what it sounds like reversed, and say that, and then reverse it again. You know, for example, I long ago figured out that if you say that is my shoe, it roughly comes out to worship Satan backwards. And uh, <laughs> so, well, there you go. <laughs> things I'm into. Only and- you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, anyways. Uh, you know, so she's in the booth. She says GameCube. She hears herself backwards, and she sort of... I, I'm pretty sure that's how it went. And then she emulated herself saying it backwards, and then it got re-reversed, so it becomes a very strange GameCube. And uh, it, it got presented to the client. They heard their name, and it was it was, it was was very simple math to figure out which uh, mnemonic sound they went with. I mean, it could almost be a game. You just have to, until someone fails, it's like, keep on naming mnemonics. Mm. You know? Windows, yeah. Macintosh, whatever. Yahoo! Um, yeah. Intel. Yep. Yeah. Certainly Wouldn't mind having the, uh, the paycheck for that one either. Oh, some sure. of them would be great. I, and, and I wonder how some of these go because sometimes they're just buyouts and, and it really, what's funny is like it's the same process but it depends on who you hire. So you hire a sound designer, there's no royalties. You hire a music house, maybe there's royalties. The, you know, like... Sometimes these things are literally just like something that gets thrown onto one spot at the end of, like, just in a day in a session. Like, here you go. Okay, we'll have a new mind. And then it catches and people are like, well, let's use that again. Yeah. And it gets used over and over. And it was never even necessarily planned on being a mnemonic, but it just fit and 
was used and gets yep. used over and over, and it organically becomes a mnemonic. Mm. Absolutely. Now, talking about branding, though, um, you've got a couple of examples because you've got the studio in Chicago, someone, yep. and, of course, uh, Source Elements, Source Connect. I'm just thinking, we'll do the studio for a start, someone. Um, obviously, summing is part of the reason you called someone, oh, yeah. I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a number of thoughts with it, actually. So the idea that, you know, audio is always the the last step in the process typically, although not always, you know, animations, it's earlier on, but that someone sort of acknowledging that these, all these projects are worked on by a lot of people. You have video editors and assistants and graphics people and sound people. And we're one of those at the same time playing on the summation and that whole idea of mixing, you know, I, again, the other idea, which is just, Kind of a funny name. Like, who mixed it? I don't know, someone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, like, like, but the, the, those were the main thoughts we had when, when we were naming that. And actually, probably one of the strongest ones was just sort of the the team effort and the somewhat anonymizing of the the effort and acknowledging that it is definitely a team effort with the whole process of creating media. Wow, you put a lot of thought into yours. Voodoo Sound, there was two options. There was Voodoo Sound or the Sound Lounge um, because at the time the Rolling Stones were on tour, <laughs> they were on the Voodoo Lounge tour. <laughs> so, ah. yeah. And they were the two options that I came up with at the time and I did agonise over. But, well, um, and then could the, you well, be, there's Sound yeah. Lounge in New York, very, very big studio. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah probably wasn't. Right. that wouldn't have been the best choice. But no. uh, there's well, a Sound Lounge in Melbourne, actually. Yeah, well, we're talking this oh, was really? when Voodoo yeah. Sound started in 1997. So, um, so yeah, so this was a while ago now. I, did, I think you predate them. Yeah. I yeah. had this discussion with a, uh, a, a marketing person not long ago and they were sort of suggesting that because I'm sort of a one-man band and will probably never uh, have a staff, and because most of my work comes to Robbo, not to Voodoo Sound, that I th should think about changing the name of my company to reflect that. And one of the names they came up with was Just Ask Robbo. So it's actually something that I'm thinking about at the moment because it probably, it's, some, it's not something, Voodoo Sound's not something that I'm ever going to be able to sell anyway. It's not going to be because, as I said, people, my clients come to me because I am me. Um, so maybe not a bad way to think about doing that is to reflect that in the name of the company and just change the name to Just Ask Robbo. So it's actually something that I'm bouncing around at the moment. I've got an idea for you. You can actually get really, really deep and call yourself iRobbo. iRobbo. <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon Mac might have a problem with that? No, I, oh, no I'm thinking iRobbo. I'm going back to uh, iRobot, you see. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. There you go. I, I actually like Voodoo Sound. I think it acknowledges, you know, here, like the... Um, I, I, I think to some degree... Sound is like this mysterious thing to some people, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and so many times, like, you know, like sound design, what is it? And, That's right. And often it is really simple, actually, and mm. it's it's more about the idea and the directness, and not sort of coming up with the most complex way around mm. doing something, but really making sure that you deliver what is specifically necessary, and not really. Um, and, and the other thing about sound often is that, like, which, which is great, which is if it sounds good, it is good. Mm. Mm. True. Done. Yeah. You know, the process Absolutely. is that, and the results are what really matter. Mm. I think there's also something about sound that um, people like myself, um, 
um, and people outside of the business, you can sit in the studio and you can't... I, I couldn't work out how you get from one point to the next particularly. But the difference is miles, miles apart mm -hmm. from something raw like we're doing now to something processed, mixed and, you know, on the air. Absolutely. Uh, and that's Col the Color is the same way. Mm. Yeah. Color correction, yeah. It's like huge, amazing difference in the, the way that picture translates and makes you feel and and hits you. And it's like, it's kind of funny because like for me, it's like all the aspects of color, it's like don't know anything about it. But at the same time, it's a lot like EQing sound. It's just different spectrum. Yes. Well, that's basically yeah. what it is, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Well, it's like going on a movie set. You sit in a movie set and it looks bloody awful. You're just going, what, this is crap. <laughs> What's all these green like screens shit? in the background? Yeah, and all yeah. the, like, the flats and everything, They're all, everything's wobbling around everywhere. <laughs> I, I had the chance to go on, um, like, a Hollywood set, and it's so funny because, you know, you imagine the, the street scene in New York and some kids are sitting on the steps of a building and, and then you have that, like, sort of concrete railing uh, along the side of some of these buildings, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean... Things made out of paper. Looks, yeah, looks like concrete. It's like you, you know, just like walking up to it. You're, you're like, man, that's like concrete, and touch it, hollow. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Smoke I was on a movie mirrors. set, an early oh. movie set for uh, a movie called Robbery Under Arms, and um, with a guy who's now quite a well-known director, but he he got me on set to have a look around, and we walked into what was this beautiful ballroom, and it was all marbled, you know everywhere but of course it was just you know plywood that some mm -hmm. guy managed to paint to look like this beautiful marbled you know fireplaces and all this you know intricate sort of work it was quite incredible yeah and and in a way you know kind of to some degree sound design is is like that set you're painting this picture unlike an actual house you know no one's gonna go into that and really look at what it was so as long as you paint that picture and create that believable scene and people suspend their disbelief, job done. You've you've made the scene. I mean, a, a little bit farther away, but I, I did a spot where a uh, skinny guy is sitting on the bus and a big giant fat guy sits down next to him and kind of scoots over. What's the sound of this? And I don't, I don't know where we came up with it, and I just took one of those plastic water bottles and crushed it. There it is. <laughs> Skinny guy getting crushed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. Does anybody hear that and think, "Ah, it's a water bottle?" Like, no. It's like that's I, the sound of the guy getting crushed. I had a yeah. radio spot a couple of weeks ago, uh, and it was for Perisher, which is one of the the ski fields here in Australia and and, and it was a um being a radio spot obviously with nothing to play off visually. It took a bit of work. There was it was the was one guy saying to the other, "Hey, check this out." And then starts sort of, you know, peeing and writing his name in the snow. <laughs> and, um, you know, the other guy goes, oh, what? You're not going to, yeah, 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 look at, check this out, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I scratched my head for hours about what I was going to do for the sound of, you know, writing his name in the snow and ended up going out to the, because um, my studios at home went out the front and um, found some cardboard, a card, an old cardboard box, brought it in and stuck it on the floor and got a jug of water and was just sort of pouring, you know, the water over water. it, mucking around and... Finally, with a bit of EQ and a bit of mucking around, got it to sound pretty much like um, like the uh, the sound of weeing in the snow. So, um, so yeah, it's uh. Uh, 
is you've got to scratch your head sometimes and stop and think, don't you? It's like, how the hell am I going to do this? <laughs> well, well, hopefully, hopefully you wash your hands first before you scratched your head. That's right. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and remind me not to use any of the mics in your... Uh... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. If I can find it before we put this show out, I'll... Um, well, not if I can find it. If I remember it before we put this show out, I'll, um, I'll throw it up in the end, at the end so everyone have a listen to. Sometimes, you know, you, you get a job and just kind of foleying something and I need the sound of someone hitting their head on the wall. It, it just, it's like thump. This doesn't, this doesn't sound like what it's supposed to. I mean, probably the biggest example of this is is every karate movie. Like those punches sound like that and and they don't, you know? Yeah, like, that's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, those big fat <laughs> whack. Yeah. It's almost bit, becomes that Batman. Bow. Yeah. <laughs> or or guns are another great example. I mean, if you've ever heard a gun in real life, it's like, yeah. is that a firecracker? Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. yeah, Name me one movie that's actually used the sound of a real gun as their foley. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, it's well, more, did, more like foley two or three mixed shot. together. Yeah. Yeah, or, yeah, or it's right. the perspective of when it was recorded or where it was recorded, you know, so close to the gun and it sounds huge, but from a distance it's, that's right. it doesn't have the same, same sound. Exactly. Well, we should probably note. get on to, uh, to this week's interview. Yeah, I was just about to do the same thing myself, talking about building the illusion, hopefully building my illusion. This is Maurice Tobias. Maurice Tobias, how are you? I'm great, thank you. I'm curious, uh, what made you reach out to me? How did you first hear about me? I heard about you because I must be on a database of yours and I constantly, well, not constantly, I do get your um, newsletters about upcoming events. It wasn't just that, it was also um, Christopher Kent. Um, we interviewed him a couple of months back and he mentioned that he had spent time with you and it was you that came up with the idea of CKUK. Yes. So we thought, well, we need to talk to you because uh, that, that was a, a stroke of genius. Oh, thank you. Well... I'm, uh, I draw on my advertising and marketing background when I work with my clients. And uh, I just think that everyone, now more than ever, everyone should be a brand. And that was the beginning of that kind of thought process with someone who wanted to take a step forward and not just be a very worthy, very uh, talented person, but stand out in some way. And, you know, he did this quite a, quite a long time ago. And it was wonderful to see that it worked for him and it continues to work for him. Does it work for him in the UK, do you know, or does it is it more for his overseas work? Oh, when I first worked with him, it was for the UK. We expanded to the US uh, over the years, but at first it was it, it was his wanting to reinforce his standing there in the uh, the UK market and across the continent. Because it's really, we were talking about this before, the difference between Australians and New Zealanders, I should add, and basically the rest of the world. Um, we hate blowing our own trumpet. We feel really uncomfortable about that. And um, and if anybody does it, they quickly rip down, you know, the tall poppy syndrome. So how would you manage someone in a country that's a bit hostile to uh, self-promotion? It's about helping people hire you. And it is giving those who make those decisions a container in which to place the idea of you. And so that's very different than bragging about yourself. That's, as I say, giving people an understanding of what it feels like to be in the presence of your voice or something that separates you out from all the other possibilities. And I found that even in areas where 
there had been resistance. It really is about doing it in such a way where you're not patting yourself on the back. You're simply making a statement about yourself and your work. And then, you know, the materials that are on the site or accessible to the producers back up that claim or that statement. And it gives them, again, um, a way to start cataloging you in their brain. So for some, and I'm not, I'm not asking for a free advice here, but uh, I know you've done a bit of research before we jumped on. So you've got a bit of an idea of what I do. Where mm -hmm. do you think I may have gone wrong with the way I've um, marketed myself, as in the images that I portray on my website, for instance? Well, I don't think it's wrong. I just think that if you, because the industry keeps evolving as well. So basically, you know, I, yes, there was a lot of resistance when I first started talking about marketing. But um, if you look at the manner in which the world has embraced the idea of making a statement about itself and then having people follow and become part of the tribe or fan base, I think that the world is, has changed quite a bit in accepting the fact that there are statements everywhere. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's as much resistance as there used to be. Having said that, there's always got to be someone who starts the ball rolling. Uh, when I worked with Chris in the UK, it was Chris. And then others saw that, you know, his career didn't, you know, immediately disappear because he was making a statement about himself, aside from the, his availability. And uh, as time goes on, uh, this becomes more and more prevalent in all the areas in the countries I work in. But I have a, a you know a saying which is the artist leads the culture. Someone needs to step up and embrace this manner of uh, presenting oneself to the marketplace. And when the rest of the community sees that you know no one died, no, nor did the career, and that it's quite helpful, I think that that's. Um, that's going to be the beginning of the revolution. The other is looking at the people who can hire you. They're generationally more open to this kind of presentation than generations before. Looking at the industry here, and I can't speak for the United States, but I'm sure it's a similar situation. The people that you need to speak to in, inside advertising agencies these days are increasingly younger and younger than sort of people of Andrews and my ilk. Do you think that puts artists and, and creators such as us and in our age group in a more difficult situation than someone younger? Only if you think you do. And that's not a glib remark. That's really the way that I look at it. Um, I've often had people over the years say to me, well, you know, in my day, mm. and I go, isn't today your day? It's really about not making how it is now, wrong. Yeah. And so you look at different areas of the business of, of communication, entertainment, music. Um, there are people who have outlasted the sell-by date. What is it about these people? What is it about the Rolling Stones? What is it about certain music uh, that makes them timeless? And there's a relevance that they maintain in their uh, ability to embrace what's happening now and bring it into their music or their art or their speaking. And I think that's the, the balance that I help people continue to strike between 
what it is that people know and love about you and what it is that is happening now and how do we that part of your creative palette without you trying to sound like a 22 year old or without you you know betraying what it is that is your core competency mm. that's, a, that's an interesting that's the most interesting challenge for me and why my focus in my work is the established ongoing career as opposed to newcomers. There are plenty of people for newcomers to work with, but my focus has always been for the established career to make sure that the established career continues to grow and stays, you know, stays on the radar. It's certainly a changing market out there, isn't it? Yes, it is. What, you know, alternative is to just fold your arms and go, well, I don't like what's going on. And, you know, often I'll say, well, as soon as we hang up, I'll call the industry and make sure they know that Jerry doesn't like it the way it is. <laughs> yes. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. You know, no. it's, it's fine over, you know, in a social situation to kick it around. But in the reality, you know, that's how it is. Mm -hmm. So what's the alternative? My, th my thinking is, let's, uh, let's see how we continue to keep you timeless and relevant. Now, talking about time, I want to uh, talk about your background because um, you've had an interesting career, and, uh, but I want to get right back to the, the beginning where, where you actually started. And you mentioned, sort of touched on it earlier in advertising. How did you, where did you start? I started actually in uh, production as a script supervisor, I was, uh, when I graduated university in South Florida, I had majored in uh, film production and, uh, and television and, and theater. And when I was graduating, the head of our department felt that he had done me a terrible disservice because my focus was directing and writing and producing. And he felt that I, you know, was not being realistic at the time. And, uh, you know, that perhaps another craft would be more sensible for me to pursue. And through a series of circumstances, I wound up becoming a script supervisor. And, uh, but, you know, if anybody talked to me for more than a minute, they would realize that my goal was to become a director. And I did become the first woman directing commercials in New York. And, you know, it was uh, at a time when that was a very new idea. So my background was, you know, production then directing, and also freelancing as a copywriter. So with all of those uh, skills in place, I was offered a job at an ad agency in California, and I, I had directed a campaign for them, and I came out, and I joined the agency and became one of the creative heads, continued to direct the commercials and all the media, and ran the copy department. And it was at that time that I was getting invitations. The, the ad agency was in... Uh, in Newport Beach, California, which is about 50 miles south of L.A. But it's a fluid market, and I was getting invitations from workshops in L.A. to come up and guest direct. And I knew eventually I wanted to take the act into L.A. And so this was a way for me to start gaining a footprint. And I got a call from, at that time, the only casting director in voiceover, Bob Lloyd. And he suggested that I have my own workshop. And at the time in L.A., there were 10 workshops, uh, approximately. So I thought that might be too many. It's uh, ironic. There are over 100 now. And that's just yes. in the L.A. And, you know, it's, it, the coaching and training arena is quite saturated. 
So I said to him, well, Bob, you know, there are 10 workshops. I, I, I don't know if there's a need for an 11. And he said nothing for the working pro. And he made an observation and, and, and it really took hold with me. He said, some people are still doing the same read they did when they got in the business. This was quite a while ago. And I said, well, I, I noticed that, but I said, you know, in directing commercials, you leave at the dailies and you don't go to finish. So I was never involved in the choice of the voice. And often I wouldn't hear what the choice was until it was on the air. And it was a pretty traditional read. And I figured, well, that must be what voiceover is. But to hear your comment, I think, okay, I think there is a place for me. So I started with a workshop in Los Angeles, and then a client of mine had moved from L.A. to Washington because he was and still is the most used voice of the Republican Party. And he suggested I come to D.C. and do a workshop there with a group of people who were doing well, never had any training, many of whom had come out of broadcasting and or theater. And that was the beginning of my traveling. And uh, from there... I came back to L.A. and I spoke to uh, a young talent who at that time was in my first workshop. His name is Bo Weaver, and he's quite a legend in the industry and very, very brilliant. And anyone who is interested in voiceover, I always send them to his website because he's extremely articulate and very, very grounded in his advice. And so he came in for a private session and he said, how did your trip go? And I said, you know. I think I could travel with my work. And he said, where do you want to go? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm a radio gypsy. I know somebody everywhere. So it was based on Bo's suggestion and connecting me with some of his former radio mates that I started traveling. So I went to Dallas and Houston and Chicago and Detroit. And that's how I started moving around the country, then into Canada. And then I received, uh, at the time, it was a fax from a gentleman in the UK and what he said was, can you help me? My agent in London thinks I sound too much like an announcer. And I thought halfway around the world, it's the same challenge. And so I went over to London and I did my first workshop there. And then little by little, it was word of mouth. And I started traveling quite extensively, and I still do, with my work. And the reason that I continue doing this on an on a in-person basis is because of the isolation that... Uh, this industry has now imposed on everyone. And I see how delighted everyone is to just meet and greet and hang out with people who share some, some quality time that has disappeared from the industry and from the landscape of being a voice talent. So that, in a nutshell, is, you know, I've brought you up to date. So based on that with that, that journey so far, what, what sort of have been the most dramatic changes that you've seen? Well, it's the technology it's changed our world. And what it's done is it's put people who are basically very social uh, into isolation and, uh, you know, imposed on so many people being their own uh, recording engineer and being their own director. So my seminars this year are focused on self-directing and giving people the tools to sit back and analyze and read objectively rather than being so subjective because I, I interviewed agents and managers and casting people and producers as well as talent and I said what's the number one issue right now and they all said the self-directed read 
So that's what I decided to focus on this uh, this year. And so far, it's been, frankly, the most well-received event I've offered in a long time. So I'm going to be continuing once our summer here is over, picking up in September on, up to uh, our Christmas holidays. I'll continue with, uh, I'm calling it Tricky Business, the Art and Craft of Self-Direction. And then uh, we'll see what issue comes to the foreground for next year. I usually start planning about three to six months in advance for my travel. It's interesting with self-direction because, um, like myself, a lot of my clients are in other countries and I never ever get to hear the finished product. Right. Uh, which makes it really tricky because you're not only trying to you know break down the script and work out the script, but you don't know how it's going to sit in the environment it's going to be used in. And that, that's exactly. a major hurdle. Exactly. I, I talk about the fact that on the flyleaf of what will be my long-threatened book, there will be a quote from Bob Seger in his song uh, Night Moves. And the quote is, working on mysteries without any clues. <laughs> yes, that's yes. a great line. Yeah, that, that's true. Line. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty much your business. You have to go on, you know, instinct. You have to let the writing speak to you. The writing sometimes even more than the specs or the brief, because a lot of times they will write that, you know, introduction to the project because they think they have to. But, you know, I've often said in other areas of the business, in the performing crafts, um, actors, when they're being uh, given the sides for a television show or for a feature film, they aren't given the specs. They're just given a quick character description. And then, you know, the creative team wants to see what you do with it. And that's not, that's, you know, my suggestion, which is that paragraph, or sometimes longer, has been written for the casting conversation. Once a piece of copy comes to you, you know, you need to respond to it as if, you know, it's a job. The casting conversation is over. But what yeah. talent to do is... They try and double down on the very reason that the material came to. So the, yes. the reads tend to maybe overwrought or overthought or, you know, in some some way just more than they should be, more leaned on than they should be because they don't know that they're probably exactly right for the read if they just step up to the mic and deliver based on their own instincts. It's funny, isn't it? Because a lot of people try and copy other people, which I always find slightly intriguing. In fact, I have to admit, I've done that myself, um, yeah. where you think, well, they're successful, so I'll, I'll try and do what they're doing. But the trouble is, of course, they've already, they own that space. <laughs> You're not going to get in there. Yeah. And if you look at when, um, let's say, uh, a company or a network or, you know, some buyer goes to choose another voice for their signature, they rarely look to duplicate what they already have. They're looking to make a change. And therefore, you know, when, you, when you're given the opportunity to audition, I have uh, a client I'm working with tomorrow up in Canada who has this opportunity for a very, very big network job. And uh, while they sent some samples of the existing voice, you know, I'm, I'm assuming this person is still with us. I mean, even when someone has passed away, most of the time they're, they're not looking for a voice match. They're looking for something that moves the needle forward for them. It's interesting, isn't it? I was talking to um, a mate of, actually, a mate of Andrew's and mine uh, just yesterday, a guy called Lofty Fulton here in Australia, who's a, 
a well-known voiceover yep. artist. He, in fact, is the voice of MasterChef Australia, which um, I only found out through Lofty yesterday is actually the biggest cooking show on television in the history of the world. The Australian version of MasterChef is actually now on on, on air in 186 countries around the world. Um, That's outstanding. Alastri and I are quite good mates. Oh, there you go. Yeah, oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, just, yes, just don't go looking for him in a bar because you'll find it hard to find him. But, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> good on you. In a crowded bar. <laughs> I think uh, a pretty good bookends because I've, I've said to him, I'm, I have scoliosis and I've been shrinking quite consistency and I said, won't be long, Lofty, because you and I see eye to eye. You're looking him right in the eye, yeah. Look, Lofty and I have known each other for 20 years, so I'm allowed to say that just by the way. But um, oh, he, he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's as good-natured as he can be Yeah. by the same token. Uh, a couple of years ago, and I, I've done a lot of uh, speaking at conferences, and he had planned to come over. And um, one of the uh, aspects of my speaking is to bring talent up on stage and demonstrate what I talk about. Mm. And so Austin was coming over to Promax, and it was here in Los Angeles. And I thought, I want him to be respected, and I want him to have as much dignity as he deserves. So I said, do you own a tuxedo? And he said, I do. <laughs> and I said, so I had everybody dress in a way that kind of was a, an echo of what it felt like to be in the presence of their voice. So one person wore a Hawaiian shirt and someone else wore its baseball cap, you know, turned around just as something to, you know, give a visual um, anchor for what they were doing. And I made sure that uh, we had a riser for him. And I talked to the crew and I said, we want to do this as discreetly and as low-key as possible. So he walks on stage, he comes over to the podium, he steps up, and he goes to work. And, of course, the started speaking, he silenced the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that, you know, it's, it, it was just uh, very heartwarming to see that. And, uh, and you know, it, it's, it has to do with the manner in which he carries himself. And then once he starts to work, there's, you know, there's, it's irrefutable that the man has a gift. Absolutely. The, the, reason I, the reason I raised him and, and the MasterChef experience, coming back to the, the topic we were just on, is uh, mm-hmm. he was telling me that he actually got a call the other day from a television network in Pakistan that runs mm-hmm. MasterChef, and they mm-hmm. had decided that to add some authenticity to their MasterChef Australia promos, they actually got him to voice them. But yeah, I, I just in, in terms of where work comes from and, and how, you know, milking existing clients can lead to further work, I, I thought that was a really interesting example. Well, that's, that's when you become an icon. And the very fact that you're saying the words is an endorsement. It elevates the idea. Mm. And that to me is ultimately the goal. Yeah. That you're seeing beyond simply telling the story but telling it in such a way that it makes the story that much more valuable because you're telling the story. Mm, mm, mm. It's the so, same. It's the same with Robert Lee, isn't it? I mean, um, with MythBusters. I mean, that that uh, certainly given him an international profile which he wouldn't have had before. Well, I, I think the technology has given you know everybody the opportunity to become global, and it's up to you know it's up to you and it's up to us to seize the moment, to seize the opportunity and see that the possibilities really are endless 
There's no limit to who can hire you, where, and it's just a matter of making sure that the materials that you produce and the images that accompany your statement are in places where as many people as possible can see you. You know, that, that's the goal of marketing. And you can always say no, but let's keep those requests coming in. So how do you see um, what you're doing now fitting into uh, the future of the industry? Well, I've been banging the drum for being a brand for a very long time. And I just think that as going forward, it becomes essential. It's no longer a choice. It's essential that each person have some sort of a statement, an image to separate you from the vast ocean of choices. Um, you know, I don't think there's a, a number that anybody can put on how many people are pursuing voiceover work on any given day. A client of mine in Canada some years ago did some research through the unions. And this was just in, uh, this wasn't even North America, this was just in the U.S. He said on any, any given day, this was in 2009, 1.3 million people were pursuing voiceover work. That's just, you know, the U.S., which, of course, is a very large market. But how many people globally are pursuing work and are expats living in India, living in, you know, some, some far-flung areas, um, but still available in uh, English or their native languages and uh, are working quite happily from uh, their home studios? So what is it that makes you stand out? so that you become the choice. Uh, even before the materials are sent out, what makes them choose you? You've got to give people a reason uh, above and beyond the fact that you're really, really good at what you do. I quote this t-shirt a lot. It was out some years ago and it said, I may not be perfect, but parts of me are excellent. And <laughs> nice. you really have to do believe in that. Yeah. And you yeah. know, there are areas I, I can't, I cannot add up a line of figures. I figured that one out a long time ago. I'm, I have, you know, I have a business manager who handles anything that to do with numbers. It turns out I found out as an adult that I was dyslexic, and uh, and and so I, you know, I accept that, and I accept the fact that you know the people who are at that company are really, really good at what they do, and uh, and that's why I work with them. So we all have something that we've been given as a gift, and it's up to us to honor it. And uh, and I don't think that that's being egotistical. I think that's actually operating from gratitude. It's funny you should say about being dyslexic. I'm, I've done this quote, used this quote many times before. Um, but on several occasions, I've uh, gone in for sessions, and uh, and the producer has said, "Yeah, great, great read." Um, but now can you read what's written on the page? That's a nice touch. Yeah. There are yes. words. Yeah. Sometimes they run into cliches so many times, the minute you see uh, the start of a sentence, your brain automatically thinks the rest of it. And especially in the midsection of a commercial, because so many phrases are, you know, they're there for a reason. I was directing a campaign uh, some years ago in New York for a toothpaste. And uh, I saw the writer-producer sitting in a corner while we were waiting for lighting, and he was literally pulling on his hair. So I went over and I said, is there something wrong? Is there something we can help you with? And he said, no, no. He said, I've been on this account for eight years. 
my client doesn't seem to understand. There are just so many ways you can say clean, fresh breath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you see that, you know, you see the beginning of something and maybe your, your brain jumps to uh, what you think the conclusion is. Or you really are dyslexic and, uh, oh, well, many creative people are. It just means that the brain's working faster than the mouth can keep up. There's that interesting um, interesting thing on Facebook. It's been up for years. I'm sure you would have seen it, where they've taken a sentence and all the words are spelt the same except they jumble the word, they jumble the letters up yes. in each word. So, But as you read it, it makes complete sense and you can actually read it as it should be because your brain instantly sees the word. It just sees the combination of letters and says, oh, well, that's that word. And right. it's, it's yeah. incredible. Incre- and, and it's no wonder that voice actors trip over themselves so often when you, you realise how many just how many combinations there could possibly be. Yeah, clean, fresh breath. I yeah. mean, how many different yeah. ways can you say that? That's right. Um, yeah. The way that I discovered I was dyslexic is I was in line at a grocery store or convenience store and there was Time magazine and it said, if you can read this, you're dyslexic. And I didn't understand what the deal was and I turned around, it was a gentleman behind me and I said, I don't understand. And he said, it's upside down and backwards. <laughs> and I trying to me. <laughs> so that was the beginning, and I noted the word dyslexia. It was dyslexia. It was the first time I'd seen it. And then I went home and started doing some research, and I thought, huh, I think I can think of a couple of ways that that might be the case. And it turns out there are 132 ways to be dyslexic. There you go. It must so, have been a bit of an epiphany moment for you then. Oh, that explains a lot of things. Yeah. It does. And uh, again, it has a lot to do with, you know, the, the nerve endings and the synapses, but also the brain moving very quickly. And it's moving faster now than ever before because everything's accelerated. Yeah, well, technology certainly is playing a major role in that, that's for sure. Yes, it's, it's just, and the people who can hire you grew up with technology. And so it doesn't take them as long as it did, you know, generationally the prior group to get get something. They, they get it before they even get it, which is why everything is quicker, shorter, more succinct than ever before. Yeah. The downside of that is things like attention span, though. Apparently uh, uh, our, our attention span is now shorter than a goldfish's. Right. So uh, although it has an upside, it certainly has a downside as well. You know, gain in the pro- – yeah, what is it? Uh, gain in the process of loss or loss in the process, process of, of gain. gain. That's the one, yeah. 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 So, and again, you know, what can we do about it? You know, we can read a book once in a while, go sit under a tree and commune with nature and, you know, get ourselves back to uh, that resting place. But uh, our our world moves very, very quickly. And uh, if we resist it, all we're doing is keeping ourselves in place. Now, just one last question, which, um, because we've become more and more globalist, you know, as because of technology. Do you think that uh, voices are becoming more global than they have done before? Yes, some voices, not all. Which ones in and particular are? Well, it's very, it's very individual. It has to do with image. It has to do with what we call here sizzle factor. Um, you know, the voice that started all of this, you know, this celebrity consciousness was Don LaFontaine who very consciously, because I used to do what called ride-alongs, I used to ride with him in his limo quite often. And at one point he said to me, I've hired a publicist. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, 
yeah, there are going to be other people doing what I do, he said. But before that happens, I'd kind of like people to know who they've been hearing all these years. And I said, why not? And so he, you know, was very conscious in making sure that people understood that was who had been talking to them, especially in movie theaters, all those years. And uh, I think he deserved that acknowledgement and recognition. But he, he did two things. First of all, he created the ce celebrity consciousness and voiceover. And he opened up the idea of voiceover to people who may not have had that thought. And, you know, even before technology made it possible for so many people to launch themselves onto the marketplace, uh, you know, the idea of a voiceover career became a much more common thought than it had been before. Yeah, so back to my, my other question, though. What, what accents do you think work internationally? And what accents don't work internationally? I think that that's uh, one of the things I noticed when I went to the UK is that uh, accents within the UK come and, and go. It's a fashion thing. And it could be because of an artist or an actor. Um, a movie comes out and the lead has a, a certain accent. I think the Australian accent is, is uh, used when we want people to be uh, more relaxed, more playful and taking some risks in what they're saying. Um, the English accent, I remember when I first went over to the UK, I heard what I assumed was the English version of an American accent. I didn't quite recognize it because it wasn't full-on American. And I asked why in the world people were using that read. And they said, well, when we want someone to sound like they know what they're talking about, we hire you guys. I said, that's not why we hire you. So there's often, there was a saying that says the expert is the man from out of town. So sometimes by using a voice from another place, uh, it gives some sort of validity or endorsement that uh, is assumed based on the accent and the culture. Uh, what accents don't play well, that has so very much to do with the sensibilities of the culture. Uh, one thing we do know is that just in terms of films, comedy doesn't travel as well as action and adventure. That's, that's much more translatable. So the dramatic voice probably has a better chance of uh, a widespread global career than a comedic delivery. This comedy is very specific to the culture that it's in. So I don't know if I'm exactly answering your question, but, uh, you know, we hear accents all the time, the Irish accent, uh, very playful. You know, there are a lot of accents within the empire that uh, give us permission to be more relaxed or the English accent itself a little more formal. Yeah, no, that's exactly the question, the, the answer I was looking for. It, it is interesting and there's cert there are certain accents that just will not work no matter what you do with them unless it's for something so specific. Um, exactly. Get away. Yeah. No, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's funny because we were talking about this before with, um, I think Nicole Kidman is the, the perfect example to use, actually, because when she first became successful in America, she adopted an American accent and she had that accent for years. And it wasn't until, um, and I can't even think what the movie was, there were a couple of movies anyway that came out of Australia that were hugely successful and there were more Australian actors going to America and working in Hollywood that her accent then went back to where it is now, which is an Australian accent. Well, I am personally amazed at the Australian ability to do an American accent better than anyone, better than the Brits. 
Uh, there's a show on right now with one of the characters being played by a British actor who I absolutely adore his work, Matthew McFadden. And uh, he's uh, classically trained. And uh, this is the first time I've heard him do an American accent. And he's working very hard at it um, because he is playing an American. And um, so very many of the Australian actors, it just seems to be, I, I don't know if it's the training, I don't know if it's the ear, but the Australian actors who do an American accent are spot on. Do you know the funny thing, though, conversely, I, I have yet to come across anybody, and it could be anybody from the UK, US, anywhere around the world, who can do an Australian accent. Even Meryl Streep did played uh, Lindy Chamberlain in a, in a movie that was yes. ar around, yeah. Uh, do you know who worked, though? Do you know which one did work? The guy who was the lead in the movie Lion. Really? I didn't, okay, I haven't seen Lion. Man, so I tell you, you his go. accent is absolutely spot on. You right. never pick that he wasn't Australian. Right. Okay, there you go. I stand corrected. Language is a way of belonging. There's yeah. a psychology to the language. There's a musicality to it. Mm. And you either have an ear. I mean, some people, you know, have a facility to learn languages very quickly and, and be very credible in all of them. And some people, no matter what, they can speak the language, but they still have the accent from their native language. Mm. I think it's, it's a gift. It's, it's just something that some people have, some people don't. And uh, for some reason, the Australians have you know, the ability to... Uh, and I think part of it has to do with, if you look at the various cultures in, this, in the English-speaking world, I think that sensibility-wise... Americans, Australians are the closest. Yeah. It's just in terms of being mavericks and breaking away from, you know, the mother tongue, all of that. Yeah. So there's a, there's a similarity in our psychology yeah, yeah. Uh, that may make it that much easier. But it is, it is a masterful accomplishment if you can do an entire film or an entire stage play in another accent and not once drop out. Mm. That's, yeah. you know, masterful. Although you ask any Aussie on the street and they'll tell you we don't have an accent. <laughs> Nobody thinks they have an accent. And that's, again, that's because you're somewhere where you belong and everybody around you sounds like that. That's so right. yeah. everybody else has one. Of course. One. Yeah. And the other thing about Australia too, our accent doesn't change from state to state particularly. I mean, you've got to have a no. very, very good ear True. to pick up if someone's from Queensland or WA or South Australia. Which is different than London because you can go a few blocks and the accent yes, changes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know from where I grew up, I mean, the accent where I, I lived, um, there were at least three within a couple of miles. So, I mean, literally, village to village, they were speaking with a different accent. You know, a lot of times it's the geographic boundaries that keep an accent in place. Uh, and it may be that, you know, your ancestors were roamers and they just took the language everywhere and, and it stayed. Yeah, it's funny actually because um, without going too deep into this, but there is one thing about Victoria as opposed to uh, the rest of Australia. There's a little piece of Irish mm. and it's the, the TH sound um, mm -hmm. in Victoria that, that I, I haven't heard in any other part of Australia. It has to do with who settled there. Yeah, and it was mainly Irish because the um, convicts. Yes, in uh, in American in uh, Appalachia, that accent, that American accent, has a Scottish twang to it because that's who settled in Appalachia. Or you know the New Orleans accent 
uh, it's trappers from Canada, French Canada. Along the American border with Canada, you have very distinctive Scandinavian lilt to uh, the accent. So it, it has everything to do with who got there, settled, and set up the language. Yep. Well, we've all seen Fargo, the movie, and that was very yeah. bit, bit Scandinavian there, I think. <laughs> yes, you betcha. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, I have to say, Absolutely. and uh, an enlightening yeah. one too. So um, I'm going to have to go and do some work now to work out how I'm going to market myself. Hmm, puzzled. Head scratcher. I'm forward to that phone call. I will be giving you a phone call. Stand by. <laughs> Well, I think the interesting thing for me that I took out of this, though, I have to say, is that uh, even though, you know, we were talking specifically about voiceover artists, I think there's plenty of lessons for audio engineers and radio imaging producers like me to um, to take from this, you know, the, the lessons of, you know, stand alone and, you know, do something different and, and have a, a different sound are, um, are just as, uh, as useful, right? I think you're absolutely right. And I think that extrapolates to everyone on the planet. Mm. If you want to stand out, you have to give people a reason for seeing you separated from all the other choices. That's that's our responsibility now as self-marketers. And I, for one, am delighted because it gives everyone the ability to show up uniquely as opposed to years ago where there were categorical reads and um, you either fit in a category or you didn't. And now you create your own category. Yeah. Sage advice. Thank Beautiful. you. I'll look forward to meeting you personally when I'm there. Yeah, make sure you keep in touch and let us know, yeah, when you're down and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll catch up for a beer and maybe pack a scrum in the pub while we're at it. <laughs> <laughs> Get lofty. short rehearsing now. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. We'll catch you when you're down here or see you over there. Okay, look forward to it. Take good care. Thanks for that. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, there you go. That was Maurice Tobias. Interesting lady, and uh, she certainly helped a lot of people with their careers, and um, you never know, might even help me. <laughs> I think you'll be so, on that. <laughs> yes. <Not a> client. <laughs> Indeed. Well, that's uh, pretty well the end of this show, but if you do have any questions, go to our Facebook, because we never promote this, which is ridiculous. It is the Pro Audio Suite podcast. Um, you just jump on that. And lay a question up on Facebook and um, we'll probably uh, get to it in about six months when we remember to check out Facebook. <laughs> We're such regimented yeah. people. Yes, we are. <laughs> All uh, right, well, that's uh, this show. So we're um, busily organising the next one and um, we will have a guest, but I'm not quite sure who it is just yet. But I can tell you in about uh, a month... Um, we will have uh, a special guest from Stuttgart. Yeah. Uh, from Benstown talking about radio imaging, which would be uh, fascinating. So I'm looking forward to that one. Absolutely. Beautiful. Well, um, enjoy your fortnight, chaps. Indeed. George chaps might in. even bother to make an appearance next time. Oh, he was here now. He's just been asleep. <laughs> <laughs> he loves this show. It's like ASMR for him. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, dear. All right, uh, on that I note. I would never note. live that down. <laughs> <laughs> and we won't let him either. No, indeed. <laughs> Our show is like, so exciting. Our own hosts fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, on right. that note, I'm out of here. See I'm you next time. Bit of, a, bit of a snooze. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Wipe the tear, baby, from your eye. 
Though it's hard to part, I know I'll be tickled to death to go Don't cry, don't sigh There's a silver lining in the sky Bonsoir, old thing, cheerio Chin, chin, na, poo, toodaloo, goodbye